This episode of the Pellicle podcast is sponsored by Hand and Heart. Hand and Heart is a business and workplace consultancy. We educate people, we solve problems, we guide growth, and we nurture teams. We believe the workplace will transform over the next five years. We have experience with businesses of every shape, size, and industry. We've worked with over 80 businesses in the last five years, and we've educated over 250 owners and employees using our business ecosystem model. By keeping things digital, we keep it affordable, and we are available worldwide on your time. We're giving Pellicle listeners a free 30-minute advice session. You could be a business owner wondering what the hell DE&I means, or you're at a loss of how to even start your business or develop systems to improve your business. We can help you. To sign up, head to www.handandheart.eu forward slash pellicle and register. That's www.handandheart.eu forward slash pellicle to book your free session. Thank you for listening. Now enjoy the show. Hello, it's me, Matty C, and welcome to this special edition of the Pellicle Podcast, where I'm going to reveal my beers, wines, and ciders of the year. Now, first, a little apology from me. This podcast was meant to come out over the Christmas period, but it is now January the 6th. It's a new year. Happy New Year to you all. But hopefully, it's going to be worth the wait. I like to keep my list of beers of the year as well as my ciders of the year and wines of the year on the podcast to encourage you to listen to it. But I do hope that you've been enjoying the seasonal content we've been publishing on Pellicle. That has included a wonderful list of our most popular features of the year as well as our annual trendsetters and trailblazers. This is always a really popular feature and it's a wonderful opportunity for us at Pellicle to celebrate some people who are not just doing amazing work now, but are going to do absolutely amazing work in the year ahead. So do go and check that out. We've also just published our plan for 2022, which you can read on the site now. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later. But first, I want to say thank you to everyone who tuned in to the Pellicle podcast in 2021. Our most popular episodes are getting about 1,500 listens, and that's absolutely amazing. So if you found the podcast recently, I really hope that you've been enjoying it. And I also want to welcome anyone who discovered us through, of all places, Esquire magazine. We were thrilled to have been named in their 79 must-listen podcasts of 2021. It's a little bizarre for us to be featured in such a list along with some massive podcasts. But if you found the show through that, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. I want to encourage you to go back and listen to some older episodes. If you enjoy this style of me just riffing on the mic, I'm kind of just making it up as I go along. Can you tell? Then start episode 18 because that's when I switched out the format. But if you want to see how we got there, there's some great episodes. And, you know, if you're like me, you want to get that platinum medal, you want to complete the entire thing. Go back to episode one and listen from the beginning and you'll get a real feel for this podcast. There's only 27, 28 episodes now, including this one. So it won't really take you that long to get through them all. But thank you and welcome to the Pellicle podcast. I hope you enjoy all the episodes we've got planned for you in 2022. 
We're also busy planning our 2022 content for the website. We've got some absolutely stunning features, so do keep checking the site as we publish those. Unlike the way these episodes usually work, I'm going to skip the check-in. And that's because I've made my list of my favourite beers, wines and ciders of the year. And it's really long. And I want to spend a bit of time talking about each of my choices and why I've chosen them. But I'm going to give you a bit of a running order because some of you may want to skip ahead to the beers of the year, which won't start till about halfway through the show. I'm going to start, before I get even into wines and ciders, by talking about some of the best places I've had a great pint in or a great meal, places that I've loved visiting. I am a pub drinker, although I do enjoy a beer at home. Beer tastes even better when you're in a great venue being served by really great staff. So I think it's only appropriate that I mention some of my favourite places in which I've enjoyed great beer in 2021. After the venues, I'm going to go to wine and talk a little bit about my relationship with wine this year, as well as some of my favourite wines from the past 12 months. And then a lot of people have been asking me what my favourite ciders have been this year, and I'm going to talk a little bit about those. And then before I get into the big list of beers of the year, and bear in mind, I've picked about 17 beers, so there's a lot to get through. I'm going to talk a little bit about our plan as a publication for 2022 and how you can help us achieve our lofty goals. But I think the best thing to do is get into it. So without further ado, let's start going through my beers, wines and ciders of the year by talking about some of my favourite places. Having lived in Manchester for over a year now, I thought the shine might come off, but it really hasn't. Every time I get the train into town and I nip into the northern quarter or down to Deansgate and then pop into one of my favourite pubs, I feel a tinge of excitement. I've got a big smile on my face and that's because this is such a great city for beer. I'm still in that exploratory phase, so everything feels new and exciting, and I'm trying to cling to that for as long as I can. I'll be starting to research a really big project. I can't talk about it yet because I've not signed the contract, but I'll be out and about in Manchester a lot over the next 12 months doing quote-unquote research for something very exciting that I will be revealing to you very soon, I'm sure. But let's get on with some of my favourite pubs and other places in Manchester from the last 12 months. It was actually really hard to make this decision, but I've whittled it down to just four places. I'm going to start with what has been my favourite pub in town, and that's the City Arms. One of the places I miss most in London is a pub called The Harp, and I really didn't enjoy going into that part of London, into Covent Garden, because it was busy, it was full of tourists, but I would actively make an excuse to go there just so I could visit the Harp because it had such a good atmosphere and the beer was so great. For me, the City Arms is that kind of pub. Not that Manchester is crowded and touristy like Covent Garden is. In fact, it's not at all. But I will look for an excuse to go into town so that I can go out of my way and visit the City Arms. The reason I like it so much is because it's kept that real, authentic pub feel But there's a liveliness to it, an atmosphere, that kind of vibe that's difficult to put your finger on. But above all, the cask there is so good. 
not just the condition and quality, but the selection. There's always some old favourites like, say, Titanic Plum Porter or a nice bitter like Red Willow Feckless or perhaps, if you're lucky, Thornbridge Jaipur. But there's also some more interesting beers as well. And they do have a couple of good keg beers on most of the time. Plus, if this is important to you, it also serves a really decent pint of Guinness. All of this adds up into what is just a wonderful pub. A pub that is worth the walk from the northern quarter to. That extra 10 minutes, it's really not that far. And is definitely one of the best authentic pubs with a great beer selection, a great cask beer selection in Manchester. Not far from there is my favourite Manchester craft beer venue of the year. A place, again, I find myself making excuses to go into town so I can visit. And that is Café Beermoth. Every time I go into Café Beermoth and I look at the tap list, I don't know what to order in the best possible way. I want to drink it all. It's like they've reached into my skull and pulled out my perfect tap list. And I have to go back to try more things because they have things I want to drink there. That's what a craft beer bar should be. It should be about getting that curiosity going, getting that excitement. And it does it so well. I think in the early days of Cafe Beer Moth, because of the kind of venue it's in with the big glass windows and it's very urban, it lacked a bit of comfort that other bars and pubs nearby had. But over the years, as it's been worn in, it's grown into this comfort. And now it feels like this warm, cosy place, especially if you can get in one of the booths in the window. They're my favourite places to sit in there. There's also a really great staff in there with not just an amazing beer knowledge, but amazing enthusiasm for beer. And that comes through in that beer list. Well done to the team there for just making me feel excited every time I walk through the door. And in terms of openings of new venues in Manchester, one place has really stood out for me this year, and that was Bondobust Brewery. Now, those who follow me regularly will know that I absolutely love Bondobust. In fact, you'll have heard my interview with the founders, Marco and Mayer, and their head brewer, Dan, on an earlier episode. But that new brew pub venue of theirs, as well as bringing the classic Bondobust foods and vibes, is also producing some of the best beers in town. What I like about what they're doing is if you want to drink those beers, if you want a pint of Chitro, their delicious nitro chai porter, you have to go there to enjoy it. And I feel that pull. I also think their menu is so well considered in terms of both quality and flavour, as well as how much it costs. It doesn't feel like an extravagance to nip in there for a pint and a vada pav and a bit of chart just for a casual lunch, as well as being a great place to hang with friends or celebrate something. It's also just that place I feel very content sitting on my own, having a bite to eat and just pausing the world for a little while. They do what they do very well. We're very lucky to have Bundobust here in Manchester. And my last Manchester shout out is to the best restaurant I've been to this year, the best meal I've had. And actually, this was a place I went to to celebrate the launch of my book, Modern British Beer, with some dear friends of mine. And that was Erst. Now, if you follow food at all, you will have probably heard of Erst. The Guardian's food critic, Jay Rayner, gave it a glowing review. And I'm not surprised. The food there is really well considered, incredibly delicious and pairs with some great wines. 
it's also got that higher end restaurant feel without feeling too prim or smart. It's a very relaxed and casual atmosphere, despite the quality of the food and drink being served. They've also got some great beers on offer, including the all-important Augustina Hellers. If you're going to have one lager, it might as well be the best lager in the world, right? If you are in Manchester or you're visiting Manchester and you want to go for a meal that's really amazing and a little bit different, then do check out Erst. It's absolutely sensational. But that's my short and sweet list of my favourite places in Manchester in 2021. Another thing I love about living in Manchester, though, is how easy it is to jump on a train and head to another nearby city or town. And I've been taking advantage of that as much as I can this year. One place I've got to go to a couple of times, of all places, is Huddersfield. It's really not that far away. And I had some of the best conditioned pints I had in a pub near the station there called The Sportsman. Now, the company Beerhouses also own another brilliant pub called the Staleybridge Buffet Bar. So these folks know how to run a good pub. But The Sportsman is just one of these fantastic... It's... How can I describe it? It's just this very West Yorkshire pub. It's got 14 hand pulls. So it's got a ridiculous cask selection. But it seems to turn it over enough that they're always in fine form. And they've got a permanent Mallinson's line, which is one of my favourite breweries. So do go to Huddersfield and check out The Sportsman. It's an absolute brilliant pub that's cellaring some of the best cask pints in the country. Another place I've really enjoyed visiting a lot this year is Sheffield. It takes me less than an hour to get there and it has one of the best city centre pub crawls, especially if you love Cascale like I do, anywhere in the country. And although there are a lot of amazing pubs, the one that has really stood out there for me was the Rutland Arms. It's absolutely brilliant. And because of its proximity to the train station, it seems to be where I always finish a night out. And it has this fantastic atmosphere, really great staff, amazing beer, amazing food if you're a bit peckish. It's a pub that I think the best way to describe it is left of centre. It's a bit different, and I think that's why I like it so much. It's very welcoming. It's got no time for dickheads. The beer's amazing. It's just what a pub should be for me. Get to Sheffield and visit the Rutland Arms. A no list of venues in nearby northern towns would be complete without mentioning Corto, run by my friends Katie and Tom Mather. I'm so proud of them for opening such an amazing venue with one of the best drink selections anywhere in the country. It's next level. It's worth going out of your way to get up to Clitheroe to visit them. What they're doing there is a blueprint for what bars are going to look like over the next five or ten years. I'm not saying they're the only people doing it, but it's wonderful to see good friends putting in so much effort into making something so wonderful. And it's for that we named them in our list of trendsetters and trailblazers for 2022. So congratulations to them for that. It would be remiss of me to not mention a few London venues as well. You know, London was my home for a long time and I did get down there to visit it a few times this year. My favourite pub in London was always changing, but the one I've been drawn to on my visits this year was the Sutton Arms. What a fantastic pub that is, hidden away in Clerkenwell, near the Barbican Centre. It's one of those city pubs that 
isn't really very busy at the weekends. It's a Monday to Friday pub. And it's one of those pubs that's kind of like out of time. It's got this stillness to it. London is such a busy, hectic city, but you walk through those doors and you feel like you leave that hectic side of London, even though it's right out the door behind you. And Jack and his dad have an amazing beer selection. They're really passionate about the beer they serve and its quality. It's absolutely been my favourite London pub this year. And another shout out must go to Pivo, just round the corner from it. Now, I love Czech Pilsner. It's one of my favourite things. But to really enjoy Czech Pilsner, you need to go to the Czech Republic and have it served the way the Czechs serve it with bountiful wet foam, they call it, where the foam is dense and tight, a bit like a flat white coffee or something like that. It's part of the beer. It's integral. Pivo serve the beer they sell in the Czech style. So you can walk in there and ask for a schnitt or a mliko pour, and they will give you a big foamy glass of beer. And they have some really interesting smaller Czech breweries, such as Kutnahora, who are making some really interesting, delicious, authentic Czech lagers. I love that you can just head into the centre of London and drink in a Czech pub and have beers that way. I would like to see more people observing how these beers should be served and serving them properly like this. It feels like a treat visiting, honestly. As I also like to talk about food, I want to talk about the best meal I had in London this year, and that was at Café Deco. We actually featured its head chef, Anna Tobias, in last year's Trendsetters and Trailblazers because we knew she was opening this restaurant and we were very excited about it. And I was delighted to get the chance to visit earlier this year, and it didn't disappoint. With the pedigree that Anna has, you know the food's going to be great and it really didn't disappoint. We also had some great wine, but the thing that really shone for me was how engaged and interested the staff were in talking about the wine and food. It really made the meal for me, the fact that they didn't just come over and say, would you like a glass of wine? But they started talking about the provenance of that wine, the maker of that wine, and then talking about what food it would pair really well with in a really excited way. That's quite rare to find that enthusiasm and it just made everything taste better. Do visit Café Deco in London if you can. So there you have it. That's my favourite venues of the year. Like I say, we've got a lot to get through on this podcast, but I want to give a shout out to what I'm going to name my pub of the year 2021. And that is the City Arms in Manchester. You could probably tell that from the way I was talking about it earlier. It really is fantastic. I want to go there now. I might even do that after I finish recording this podcast. So well done to the City Arms and make sure you visit it next time you're in Manchester. Right, next up, I'm going to talk about my favourite wines and ciders. I've decided to throw these together and there's three in each category. And the reason I've decided to throw them together is... Because I've had this weird relationship with wine and cider this year. I've had to think about beer in a very deep way in 2021. And I think a lot of that stems from the fact I was writing my book, Modern British Beer, which was a very intense process. I've been thinking about it and I think that actually denied me a bit of headspace to enjoy wine and cider in a more critical way. And the way wine and cider occupied my life was as a switch off drink you know I'm relaxing now so I'm not really registering what I'm drinking I'm not adding it to a list of favorites so I actually 
didn't drink as many memorable wines and ciders as I expected, really. Nonetheless, there were still some that stood out to me. In terms of wine, the first one I want to talk about is a wine called Space Echo from Noita in Finland. Now, I've known the winemaker there, Simon McCabe, for a few years because he used to be the head brewer at One Mile End in London. And he moved to Finland to become the head brewer at Fisker's Brewery. Out of that grew his natural wine project, Noita, which is Finnish for which. I was really excited when I found out he was making wine and I pitched an article on him to one of my favourite wine magazines, Pipette. And you can read that interview in issue nine. Shortly after that, his wine became available in the UK and I got to enjoy a few more bottles than I expected. Of all of his wines that stood out was this Space Echo, not just because it's named after one of the greatest tape echo units to have ever existed, if you're into your vintage music gear, but because it's just a wine that symbolises what Simon is trying to do. It is fun, it's juicy, it's drinkable. When I was talking about how I haven't been as engaged with wine this year as I might have liked to have been, this is the kind of wine that fills that gap and just gives that little spark of joy. You know, I talk about when I like to enjoy a drink, it has to spark joy, and this is what that wine did. So Space Echo, it's a red wine, blend of Blaufrankisch and Zweigelt, and those grapes are from the Burgenland in Austria. So you get the characteristics of those grapes, but the way Simon ferments these grapes gives it that liveliness, that balanced acidity. He uses his brewing experience to influence and control the wine so you know you call it natural wine but the winemaker is still steering it in the direction that they want it to take and space echo is a great representation of that do try and track down noita wines if you can simon's doing something really special and really exciting i think actually looking at the other two wines i'm about to talk about they are both fun juicy reds i think that's where my head's been at i was listening to last year's beers, wines and ciders of the year. And I talked about how I really wanted to drink some bigger red wines. I wanted to find some earthy, oaky tannins. And I don't think you're going to find that in natural wine at the moment. And if you are, it's a very niche part of it. It's not really where that genre of wine is heading. Although I will say recently over Christmas, I enjoyed a wine called Ganache from Domaine de l'Octavain, which is the label of Alice Bouveau who is based in the Jura. And this is a wine that uses Grenache from the Carpentras region of France. And it's a big wine. It's 14%. And I'm talking about that sort of juicy, exciting, red berry quality to the wine. It doesn't have that big backbone of oak and tannin, but it does have a lot of structure. I actually served this wine with roast beef and it worked really well even though I think a wine with a bit more tannin might have been even better. But it was just a delicious wine on its own. I was excited by it from the first sip. Lochtevan's wines are just amazing in general, and they are in the higher end of the price spectrum for some natural wines. But for me, it was worth every penny. The third wine I'm going to choose is one from wine hype beast Anders Frederiksteen called Let's Go Disco which is a field blend from the Valvignere region of France. Like Space Echo and the Ganache, it's just one of those fun, juicy, bouncy reds. Like I say, that's where my head has been at with wine 
in 2021. I think this year I'm going to make more of an effort to carry a notepad, make a few tasting notes, keep a log of the wines I've been enjoying. Wines are often quite situational for me, part of a meal or incorporated into that part of the day where I'm relaxing. And I think because this podcast is not just about beer, although I mostly harp on about beer, I think I'll make more of an effort to engage with the wines I drink. And hopefully next year I'll have a slightly different selection and not just a trio of juicy reds, although those are my favourite kind of wines. And I had that similar relationship with cider this year as well, although I love cider and I want to invest myself more in cider. And I do that in a way by commissioning and publishing really great articles on Pellicle about cider. But I haven't drank a lot of ciders this year that I have logged away in that list and gone, yeah, I want to come back to this. I want to think about it in a critical way. In fact, my first of my three ciders is not just a cider. It's actually a beer Perry hybrid, which was produced by Dea and Little Pomona. It was called Blend 5 and it was a mixed fermentation beer that was co-fermented with quince and peri pears. In terms of the flavours you'd expect from that, you'd expect quite a sharp acidity, almost like a champagne-like zestiness. The beer did possess those qualities, but what I admire about Dea's mixed fermentation and barrel programme is the subtlety of the beers they're producing. Dea's beers, their signature is that they're quite soft, and this is carried over from their lagers and their very popular IPAs and pale ales into these barrel program beers. They're very delicate and gentle, and I think that lent itself really well to the quince and the perry that was used in this blend. It really was quite magical and almost champagne-like with that green apple quality and sparkling effervescence to it. But the next two ciders on my list were ciders that really stood out to me and lodged themselves in my brain. It's no secret that I'm a big fan of Nightingale Cider down in Kent, we were very excited to reveal its co-owner and cider maker, Sam Nightingale, as one of our trendsetters and trailblazers for 2022. Although I had a lot of ciders from Nightingale I really enjoyed this year, the one that grabbed onto me was called Fledgling Number no. 2, and I don't think I've ever had a cider quite like it before. It was a pet nat cider made using an apple variety called Red Love, and the juice was quite literally bright red. And I'm not talking red wine red, even the fun, fruity red wines that I mentioned earlier. I'm talking like crimson, like blood red. It was practically luminescent in the bottle. But it didn't just look amazing. The flavour was so intriguing. It had this balance of soft sweetness and sharp acidity and just that bite as if you're just getting that first crunch of the apple skin. And it was produced in a pet nat style, which means it was sparkling or lightly sparkling. That really just uplifted these flavours and balanced them all out. It was a cider I shared with my friends Katie and Tom Mather at Corto. And it was the last thing I drank with them before I headed home. And I thought about it for hours afterwards. What an interesting thing. It's one of those ciders that just demonstrates the massive potential within cider and perry. The ability to excite and compel. It was making me ask questions as I was enjoying it. Like, how is it so red? Where are these flavours coming from? I keep saying that I'm going to visit Nightingale Cider's orchards. I did last year and I'm going to say it again this year. Sam, if you're listening, I hope you are. I am going to try my hardest. Covid be damned 
to visit your orchards and cidery this year. But my absolute favourite cider this year, and this is the same cider maker for the second year running, is from Pilton. I'm actually going to mention two of their ciders. The first one is called Fox Dog Cat, which is a keeved cider using the Jonah Gold variety. And keeving is where the cider maker starves the yeast of nutrients. So the fermentation is slower and leaves this really accented residual sweetness. Keeved ciders are my absolute favourite type of ciders. And Martin Berkeley, the owner of Pilton, is the master of keeving in the UK for me. So Fox Dog Cat was just a really great example of his skill with this fermentation method. But the cider that just blew me away, and this was, for me, head and shoulders above any cider I had this year, was one called Pom Pom. And this was a quince cider, co-fermented with bittersweet apple varieties. And quince is acidic and tart. You couldn't really bite into one. Well, you could. I quite like those flavours. But it works absolutely beautifully in a cider. And this Pom Pom was kind of like this lemon sherbet, exciting, magical journey of a cider it was just joy from sip to sip to sip the first time i had it this year i was at the leeds international beer festival and if you've read my article about that festival and how i suffered from anxiety you'll know that i struggled while i was there but this moment in the cider room tasting through everything they had and then drinking this pilton pom-pom it just put all of that worry and anxiety to one side because it was so delicious and I was in the harmony of this cider room. Perhaps that was a sign that I should have been drinking more cider that year and I didn't acknowledge it at the time. So this is my little pledge to focus a bit more on some great ciders and come back with a bigger list for you next year. We have got some really exciting cider content lined up on the website at least, so you can look forward to that. But there you have it. That's my wines and ciders of the year. We're racing through the list now. I'm going to give you the opportunity to take a little break now before we go into this massive list of beers of the year that I've put together. And I've tried to get it down as small as possible, but I've really struggled. So a little bit of music's going to play. And if you want to pause, take a little break, get yourself a nice drink, because we are talking about delicious drink at the moment, then take the opportunity to do that. And I'll be back in a few moments to reveal my beers of the year. Welcome back. Before I do the big reveal of my beers of the year, I just want to take a moment to talk about our plan for 2022. You may have already read this on the site, but if you haven't, I want to tell you that what we're going to do this year is increase the rates we pay our contributors. And when I talk about our contributors, I mean the writers, illustrators and photographers who produce the articles that you love reading on the site, as well as our editorial team here at Pellicle, which consists of Lily Waite, Katie Mather, my co-founder Johnny Hamilton and myself. And we all work hard behind the scenes to bring you this podcast and the content you love on our website. We believe that we need to take proper responsibility for the people who produce this content, and the only way we can do that is by paying them a fair rate for their work. We're freelancers ourselves at Pellicle, so what we're going to do is increase our rates on the 1st of May. And in order to sustain that, we need you, our readers and listeners, to support Pellicle via Patreon, which you can do at patreon.com forward slash pelliclemag. 
What we're asking for is not very much. Just the cost of a pint of beer or a cup of coffee, a glass of wine or cider. If you're able to donate that to us every month, then we'll be able to sustainably increase our rates. We're immensely proud that we are an editorially independent drinks publication based in the UK, supported by its readers. We can only do what we do thanks to you folks. We also understand that not everyone can afford to support the content they enjoy. We're dedicated to keeping our content free forever. We don't believe in paywalls or subscriptions or anything like that. But we're asking if you can afford to support us, please do, because it means we'll be able to pay the people who make it a fair rate for their work. That link again is patreon.com forward slash Mag. Thank you for hearing me out. And now let's reveal my beers of the year. This has been a nightmare to put together. As much as I said I wasn't as engaged with wine and cider as much as I would have liked to have been, I have been overzealously engaged in beer in 2021. I have had a wonderful year of beer, even though it's been a tough year. Beer has been such an important thing for me, both in terms of my work and the joy it brings me, whether that's a pint I've had on my own or with friends. It's just been there and the quality of the beer I've had has been brilliant. So much so that I'm actually going to give a shout out to a couple of beers from last year that I enjoyed again this year. I just want to shout out to both Cloudwater Crystallography and Elusive Oregon Trail. Two West Coast style IPAs that I just love and are in my fridge regularly. But they're not in the beers of the year list. I just wanted to give them a bit of a high five because they've always been there for me this year. Another beer that's not officially in the list, there's a bit of conflict of interest you could say, is a beer called The Broad Spectrum of Joy that I brewed with Burning Sky earlier this year. I say brewed, that's in inverted commas, because I turned up at the brewery, drank some beer, took some photos, talked a lot, recorded a podcast with the founder Mark Tranter, which you can listen to on here, and didn't really do any brewing at all. But they brewed this beer, The Broad Spectrum of Joy, a West Coast Pale Ale with Simcoe, Amarillo and Mosaic Hops to help me celebrate the launch of my book, Modern British Beer. And I'm really thankful to the folks at Burning Sky for enabling me in that very selfish request. Thank you. The actual beers of the year list, which is, like I say, 17 beers, I decided not to cut it down because I've enjoyed lots of different types of beer. So I actually have four different lists of beer. I'm going to start with some of my favourite big bottles, mixed fermentation, sour, wild, farmhouse beers, whatever you call it. And then I'm going to talk about my favourite cask beers. And then I'm going to talk about my favourite IPAs, because you know I love an IPA. And then I'm going to talk about my favourite lagers, because I had so many lagers, I felt they needed their own space. I hope you enjoy this absolutely massive list of wonderful beer. And the first beer on the list is called Beer de Coupage from Red Willow in Macclesfield. Red Willow is a brewery that I believe is making some of the best beers in the country. And being based here in the Northwest means that I see their beer all the time. And I think people in the Northwest maybe take that for granted because it's reliable, it's delicious. But people don't get as excited about them as I believe they should. Because I think they're doing wonderful things. Beer de coupage is a wonderful representation of that. Now the term beer de coupage itself means that the beer is a blend of old, aged food beer 
and a young fresh beer, which is exactly what this is. They've got a very small but growing fooder program at Red Willow, and they've aged this beer and then cut it back with essentially the same beer that's been brewed again, but not aged. And the result was this astoundingly complex yet fresh beer had all of this interesting funk from the yeast and a slight bit of tannin from the fooder, a little bit of red wine quality in there with all the freshness and vibrancy of a new beer. It was so artfully done and I was absolutely astounded when I had this bottle of it. It's one of those beers that is still around as well. So I recommend you pick up some while you can because I feel once the secret's out about this, it'll be hard to get. Although what I will say is that they have doubled the capacity of their fooder program at Red Willow. They now have two. So I'm really excited to see what comes out of those in the coming months and years. The other big bottle that really impressed me this year was from a brewery that was new to me that I discovered on my recent trip to the United States. And that was from a brewery called Bale Breaker, who are based in Yakima in Washington state. I did a little bit of research on Bale Breaker and I can see that there's a fair bit of hype around them. I mean, they're in Yakima, so they get to make some amazing IPAs with all the fresh hops. But this beer, which I hope I pronounced correctly, Exquis, was a Belgian blonde that had been aged in white wine and port barrels. And the result was something jaw-dropping in its deliciousness, in its complexity, in how easy it was to drink. We opened this beer after dinner with some friends at my dad's house in Fort Collins. And we were just bowled over by how fantastic it was, how well integrated its wine character was, how delicate the carbonation was and how that carried those flavours. It really was one of those beers that made time almost stand still. Bale Breaker are now on my radar as a brewery to hopefully visit one day who are doing some absolutely incredible things. And this beer, Exquis, was an absolute wonder. So I'm really glad I got to try that this year. Next on my list is my favourite cask beers of the year. Now I will say I drank a lot of pale and hoppy cask beers this year and I've decided not to include those on the list because those beers served a function, a function of, like I say, relaxing with that pint. You know, I could talk about Fine Ales Jarl all day long, but I drink it regularly and it feels like it's transcended a beers of the year list in a way because it forms like a different part for me now not taking away from its brilliance. But no, the beers I've chosen kind of tied in with the pub experience. That's why you go and drink cask for that moment, for something a bit different, for something memorable. And for that reason, the first of the beers on this list is Thornbridge Jaipur, which is one of the best cask beers being produced in the UK. But this year I got to enjoy it at the brewery and that was a sensation. Jaipur is one of the most important beers in the history of modern British beer, as I wrote about in my book. But to finally visit the brewery, surrounded by the beautiful Peak District, and sit in its tap room and just spend a few minutes sipping at this pint and marvelling at its deliciousness and how it has that timelessness as one of these important beers, was very special. And that will remain cemented in my mind for a long time. It's well worth the drive into Derbyshire to experience that for yourself. My next cask beer was, you know, this is a selfish choice, was a pint of Marble Lagonda at the Marble Arch. I've drank a lot of those this year, but this one was in May after my first dose of the Pfizer vaccine. 
And I had my jab and then I walked through town and I sat there with my little card and my pint. And that was a wonderful moment. Also, because it was May and pubs had just opened indoors. It had been days. And that was the first time I'd returned to the Marble Arch since November, pretty much. Since before the substantial meal rule came in, since before the tears, all of that nonsense. I was back in this wonderful pub drinking one of my favourite beers. And I'd had the first dose of something that I hoped would allow these experiences to continue. That moment is very significant to me. In fact, it was so important that when I had my second dose 11 weeks later, I went and did exactly the same thing. You can't beat Lagonda. It's one of Marble's finest beers. And it has that similar quality to Jaipur in that it's one of these groundbreaking, forward-looking beers that still offers that same deliciousness and satisfaction with every sip. Another beer and brewery I really want to give a shout out to is called Strider and it's brewed by Nomadic in Leeds. Now Nomadic are a very small brewery but I think they are making some of the best modern cask beer in the UK and they really deserve a bit more attention than they're getting. In fact we have a profile of them written by Martin Flynn coming out on the site in a few weeks time. Strider is their best bitter and they describe it as a modern bitter. On its surface It is a classic British bitter, but it just has that something more, something you can't quite put your finger on. That little extra lick of fresh green hops, giving it that Moorishness. It really is a fantastic beer, one of the best bitters I've enjoyed on cask this year. And it's a beer I don't see around often enough because they're a small brewery. But a beer I will make more effort to drink more of in 2022, and I can't recommend it enough if you do find a pint of Nomadic Strider on the pumps. Because I don't like to ignore dark beers, I love my stouts and porters as well. I just want to give a brief mention to Burning Sky Porter. It's always a treat in November when that beer finally arrives, and they only brew it in November and December, so you know, once it's gone, it's gone. I was so thankful to be able to find this on cask at Sadler's Cat, Cloudwater's Pub, near Victoria Station in Manchester. And it's just got this wonderful balance of sweetness and bitterness. It's just so integrated. It just has this kind of chocolatey character that's not too overbearing and sweet and drying up so nicely in the finish that you're just like, oh God, I need to have another sip. That was so good. It's a really special beer. And Part of me wishes it was available more often, but I think that seasonality of it, that exclusivity of it, it's like, it's November, it's time to try and find some Burning Sky Porter on cask. That makes it even better. I'm really pleased that I managed to get hold of some this year. And my last cask pick, I want to cast your memory back to April 17th and the weeks that followed where we were once allowed to go back to the pub. Wasn't that amazing? That was only a few months ago. It's so weird to think there was a time for much of 2021 where we just couldn't go to the pub. And when we finally could and we sat outside in the street or on terraces or in beer gardens on these brisk spring days, they were very special, I think. I treasure that time when we finally got to see friends again and enjoy some great drinks. And I have one particular memory of arriving one evening to meet friends in The Magnet in Stockport, a really wonderful pub. I remember walking up to the bar and having a look at what they were pouring and they had some really 
delicious beers on a great selection from pale and hoppy cask beers like Traxonoma, and they even had the Colonel beers on keg as well. But at the time, I fancied something a little on the maltier side, so I plumped for a pint of Best from Saltaire in Yorkshire. And I took that beer up to the roof and sat on the terrace where my friends were, and they were all drinking these hazy, hoppy, pale beers. And there was I with my pint of bitter, nut brown in the glass, maybe a little bit of red glinting as the sun caught the edges, and all of them going, what's that? And with a big smile on my face, I said, oh, I've got a pint of Saltaire Best. And it was absolutely spectacular. It had that perfect balance of malt sweetness through to snappy, peppery English hops. And it went down incredibly quickly to the point where I immediately had to have another pint, which is, as you know, the mark of a really good beer. I have to say that that beer was actually the best cask beer I had in 2021. Not just because it tasted amazing, but it was that feeling of being back at the pub with friends, something that we were denied from doing for so long. It felt very special. And I know a lot of people said that last year was a tough year, and for many of you it was a very challenging year. But I think back to memories like that and go, well, it wasn't all bad, was it? That was so nice to experience. When you're at a great pub with some close friends with beer like that, that's the kind of moment I live for. So I guess I should say well done to Saltaire for creating that moment by enabling it with a delicious beer and one that I will be drinking again as soon as I track it down on cask. We've still got 10 beers to go, folks. Don't go anywhere. And we're going to pile straight into IPAs. The first one is actually a New England IPA. From the producer, I personally think is making the best beers of this style in the UK at the moment. And that's Track in Manchester, who've had a brilliant year. They've put out some amazing beers and they've opened a wonderful taproom space right opposite the Cloudwater taproom. So you can do both at the same time. Their beers have been sensational this year. But the one that I enjoyed the most was called Down is the New Up. This is a classic, hazy, soft and juicy IPA and it uses mosaic, motueka and Eldorado hops. And it gives it notes of melon, kiwi fruit, orange zest. But what captivated me about this beer in particular is how balanced and drinkable it was. I had genuinely convinced myself that I was kind of over the New England IPA thing, that I'm a West Coast IPA drinker. I want a clear beer with lots of zesty bitterness. But no, I drank this beer. It was one of the reviews I did for Hot Burns and Black, who I review beers for every month. I remember opening the can and getting this waft of orange and melon scent from the beer and going, wow, this has got some fantastic aroma. And it was just delicious with that dryness in the finish, preventing it from becoming cloying. It really was quite a special beer. And I know people get really excited about the stronger beers, the double and the triple New England IPAs. But this was just a 6.5% IPA and I could have drank several cans of it. It was just effortlessly done. And a good reminder to me that there's still some fantastic New England IPAs out there. Variety is the spice of life after all, isn't it? But the rest of my IPAs are all good old bitter West Coasters, starting with a collab from Elusive and Rock Leopard called Pining for Change. Now, you couldn't do a best IPAs list without talking about Elusive Brewing. 
And Stacy at Rock Leopard has been doing some amazing West Coast IPAs this year as well. But this collab between the two of them, Pining for Change, it was just liquid California in a can. Bitter, piney, resinous, citrus zest. It just had it all in an incredibly drinkable 6% package. Elusive, what a year they have had. Proof to me that there is still plenty of room for small breweries making great beer five barrels at a time. If you've read our trendsetters and trailblazers for 2022, you'll have seen its founder Andy Parker was deservedly in there. Another UK beer inspired by Californian West Coast IPAs was called Back to Life by Double Barreled in Reading. And this is probably my favourite English West Coast IPA I've had all year. They just nailed it. From the clarity and precision of the flavour to how balanced it was, it avoided that grassiness in the finish, making sure it was nice and rounded and smooth. That bitter hit, but then drying out, going, please sip me, you deserve to have another sip of this delicious beer. It's just wonderful. And I didn't drink enough of it at the time. I didn't shout loud enough about it at the time. It was just exceptional. It's proof of real effort being put in to replicate the kind of IPAs that put the style, the American IPA, now called the West Coast IPA, on the map. So well done to Double Barreled for that. Back to life. What a beer. I think back to life should come back to life and back into my fridge. Two more West Coast IPAs I want to give a shout out to are American classics that I really enjoyed this year. They kind of speak to me of what I've been reaching for this year. Maybe it's the pandemic, maybe it's me getting older, but that familiarity and consistency, knowing that if I buy six of these, they're all going to be exceptional. I think that's where a lot of beer is heading. I think that's why I love the West Coast IPA style, because it ticks a box. It's that reliable flavour that I want in my life. When I was in America a few weeks ago, one beer that was on tap everywhere in Fort Collins, and this might have had something to do with them being acquired by Lion and pairing up with New Belgium, was Bell's Two-Hearted. But this beer is amazing. It is that perfect balance of malt and hop. It's a big 7% beer, but so, dare I say, quaffable. This is what beers should aspire to be. Brewers should look at a beer like Two-Hearted and go, how can we make a beer that good that remains that memorable to people so they want to go back and drink it again and again and again? It has a big, bold flavour, but still has that drinkability. Beers like Two-Hearted are rare breeds. And I often think about how brewers are always trying to come up with something new and exciting to keep people engaged. But what are the beers from these breweries we're going to be drinking in 10 years' time? If I think about, say, Elusive Oregon Trail, hell yeah, I want to be drinking that beer in 10 years' time. We deserve it. And Bell's Two-Hearted is aspirational in that sense. I really hope that the new owners, Lion, don't fuck it up for us. Please, please don't. And similarly, another beer that is just so special to so many people is Sierra Nevada Celebration. I was so excited to get my hands on that again this year. A fresh hopped IPA released for the holiday season. It's just amazing. That massive hit of malt, that huge wave of bitterness that follows. Big flavours in perfect harmony. Beers like this 
are so special. And I'm not surprised people go nuts for Celebration when it comes out every year. It was the first six-pack I bought when I got to America. And then when I got back to the UK, I went down Heaton Hops near me here in South Manchester. And I bought another six cans. And they didn't last the weekend. How many beers can you say that about? This is what I think brewers should be aspiring for. How can we create a celebration? How can we produce a beer that drinkers want to consume by the caseload? That is something that's really important. Two-Hearted and Celebration were just beers that brought me a lot of happiness this year, so they had to be included in the list, really. Right, let's wrap this up with some of my favourite lagers. It's a long list, but when you've enjoyed beer as much as I have over the last 12 months, it's got to be a long list. These beers deserve celebrating. And the next beer, there's a little bit of conflict of interest because it was brewed by my co-founder, Johnny Hamilton. But I feel I've been writing about and talking about beer for long enough that I can be objective. And I'm being wholly objective when I say that New Barnes Hannah Hellers was one of the best lagers I drank all year. Now, Hannah is a heritage malt. It's actually the original Moravian Pilsner malt, and it has been brought back into production by Crisp, a large malting company based in Norfolk in the UK, but they've got malt houses all over the UK. But Hannah is an incredibly interesting malt in that it provides a very distinctive, almost nutty flavour to the beer it's used in. I'm really interested to see what happens with heritage varieties of malts over the next few months because there's some really exciting developments in terms of what these can bring beers happening. But this Hannah Hells was this fantastically poised, refreshing beer. Stacks of flavour from the malt. Nice, snappy, delicate, balanced hops. It's one of those beers that if there was a mistake to it, it would have been so obvious. Everything was laid bare. It was just exceptional brewing. The only thing I didn't like about it is that it came and went very quickly. It was snaffled up by people. And I do hope that this becomes a more regular fixture in the New Barns lineup. Another beer that I really enjoyed, and I'm just going to mention it briefly, was Lost and Grounded Kellerpils. I know they released their Hellas this year and I really enjoy it, but Kellerpils is the one. I can't do a list of best lagers without including it. And that's all I'll say, really. It's just a very special beer. I think my favourite thing about Kellerpils is that, and I think this is deliberate, no two batches taste the same. They acidify some wort and blend it back into the beer. It's almost like a living creature in that. What mood is Kellerpils in today? What's it going to taste like? Is it going to have a bit more of the peppery hop snap, a bit more of the lemony acidity? I love that about it. It's a beer I'll always drink when I see it on tap. It would be remiss of me to do a beers of the year list without mentioning St. Mars of the Desert and their Smodfest lager that I enjoyed at Smodfest was another foamy delight. In fact, I remember being at Smodfest at their tap room in Attercliffe in Sheffield and seeing them pouring it with these massive domes of foam. And it really was a beer that wasn't just about how great it tasted, but the reverie that was taking place in the tap room at that time. That beer was at the centre of this reverie. It was fueling it, but also refreshing those who were engaged in it. It's very difficult to create a beer that serves so many purposes. It was a more carefree time 
before Omicron, before we were a bit worried about all sorts of things, I just remember being at that festival and slurping back so many glasses of this beer. Each one brought a huge smile to my face as I did so. The penultimate beer on the list, we're nearly there in this epic beers of the year list, is from Utopian. My word, what an outstanding year they've had. When they came out a couple of years ago, Utopian were making good beer. And then they started making great beer. And this year, they've just made exceptional beer. And my favourite of the lot was a recent release called the Harvest Fest Beer. Absolutely exceptional brewing, using completely English ingredients to make a beer that tasted resolutely German in character. Or at least... It wore its influences on its sleeve, but this was an English beer with lots of character from English hops and English malt. And that's what I loved about it so much. It had such pronounced flavours, almost a golden syrup malt character with this sort of lemon meets black pepper meets like I can only describe it as green hop snap to it. It was just a very well integrated, very well balanced beer, but it just showcased some exceptional brewing. It really has been an amazing year for lager brewing in the UK. People have been saying for ages, this is going to be the year of lager. We've had it. It's here now. Great British lager. I could have extended this lager list to even more breweries. But I'm going to finish with one more, and then I'm going to announce my beer of the year. In fact, in the interests of time, let me reveal to you now that this next beer is my beer of the year. It is the best beer I've had this year in terms of how delicious it was and in terms of how it made me react. And that beer is Braybrook Hellers. I've talked about a lot of wonderful lager breweries there, but I think Braybrook are doing something very special down on their farm near Market Harborough in Leicestershire. The brewer Mario is creating some of the most authentic, most delicious Franconian-style lagers anywhere in the world and I don't know why people don't rave about them as much as they do breweries like New Barns or Utopian or Lost and Grounded. In fact I do a little bit. They don't maybe shout about themselves as much as some other breweries and they don't can their beer. I think if this Hellas was available in can more and more people would go nuts for it. But I remember a couple of months ago I headed to the new track tap room and I was in the mood for a lager and they've installed three of these Luca Czech lager taps where you can control the foam, the side pour faucets they're sometimes called. They had this beer on those faucets at the track tap room which gives you wonderful control over the foam meaning the bubbles are tighter and closer together which really helps accentuate that hop aroma and character. And I remember just going, I want a lager. And I, oh yeah, Braybrook, I'll order that. And sat down and I was in the middle of a conversation with a friend and I took a sip. And from that moment, I was no longer engaged in the conversation. The balance and flavour within this beer, the combination of sweetness drawing a complete circle in my brain with the spear of hops going directly through the centre was just perfect. I couldn't stop thinking about that beer all evening and the next day I changed my plans to go into town to go and have another pint of it. I can't think of another beer that has made me go out of my way like that this year because it was so good and thankfully they had a few kegs so I got to return several times to enjoy it. So well done to Braybrook for producing such a fabulous beer 
I've really enjoyed my lagers this year, but that beer was really special. Now, this has been a long old episode and I appreciate you for sticking around. And before you go, I've got one more accolade to dole out and that is to my brewery of the year. To many of you listening, this might be quite obvious, but that brewery is St. Mars of the Desert in Sheffield. Not only do they make some of the most delicious beers out there, but they're beers that have a signature. They taste like St. Mars beers, or I'll call them smod, because that's what I like to call them. They taste like smod beers. They have an accent. You can tell that they are made by them. And what Dan and Martha and now Scarlett, part of their growing team, are producing in that little brewery in Attercliffe is magical. But it's not just because of the beers they brew that they're my brewery of the year. I've been lucky enough to visit that tap room several times. In fact, I visited it recently on a trip to Sheffield. And when I sit in that space, amid the buzz and the chatter of the tap room, drinking these amazing beers, everyone around you talking about how wonderful this place is and how great the beers are, it produces in me such a deep sense of joy and warmth. St. Mars of the Desert and that feeling they instill within me, that's the reason I write about beer. And in a year that has been tumultuous and challenging and difficult, to be able to go to a place like that and feel like that and then be inspired to write about beer, that's hugely special and important to me. So for that reason, I want to name them my brewery of the year. But everyone on this list, this very, very long list that I appreciate you for sitting through, has done wonderful things this year. And do you know what? It was so difficult producing this list. There are so many other beers I didn't get to mention that gave me so much joy and happiness this year. So thank you to all of you out there making great beer, serving great beer, writing and talking about great beer. It's all really important. Anyway, that's it this time. I've got a load of episodes in the tank and I'll be back in just a couple of weeks with an interview with Katie Madder of Corto, where I'll be talking about the bar she's open with her husband Tom and a little bit about what she's doing for us at Pellicle. Lastly, thank you again to our sponsors, Hand and Heart, for helping us keep this podcast going. We really appreciate you. And do check out the link in the show notes if you're interested in their offer. Thank you again for listening. I hope that there were a few of your favourites in there. Hopefully I've inspired you to seek out some beers you haven't tried yet. Until next time, I've been Matthew Curtis, and you've been listening to The Pellicle Podcast. 